you have your Bible, please turn with me to the book First uh, John. We're not in Galatians uh, this morning. Uh, we're uh, doing a study, First John chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. Uh, we're in our second week of our summer series, which is uh, a study through the fruit of the Spirit. So we finished the book of Galatians, and we're going back and slowing down this summer and looking at each fruit of the Spirit one by one. And the fruit of the Spirit are those nine qualities or characteristics that God, through His Spirit, is working into the lives of believers. Martin began our series last week with an introduction to the fruit of the Spirit, and this morning we're going to start and we're going to go in order this summer, and so we're starting this morning with the fruit of love. I'm going to just go ahead and warn you, Uh, I don't know if this will be your experience, but it sure was mine this week. This just might be uh, the most terrifying of all the fruit of the Spirit. I think you'll see what I mean as we dig into our passage and get into God's Word this morning. So follow along with me as I read uh, God's holy and inspired Word, 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, that means basically a a sacrifice, atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. This is God's word. Let me pray and ask God to help us this morning with this passage. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation, this meditation of my heart, would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love is everywhere. You look around our culture, it seems uh, uh, love is in some way, shape, or form. It's in every movie. It's in every TV show. It's in every song, especially every country song. We want to get about broken hearts and relationships and love. We want to get more specific. It's in every Taylor Swift song. Every Taylor Swift song is a love song. It's about relationships. Think about movies. I think uh, the Hallmark Channel was on a continual loop in my household. And if you've seen one Hallmark movie, you've seen them all. And they're all about one thing, love, finding love. Every Disney movie, if you've seen one, you've seen them all. They're about love. The Bachelor, I can't believe The Bachelor is still on the air. It's been on the air for a long, long time. And when I left the college campus, it was still a a huge hit among college students. They would get together, which I have no idea why, and they would have these bachelor viewing parties. It's still widely popular. Why? Because it gets right at the center of a human being. 
It gets right at the heart of all of us. Those things are about love. It's in social media. We've got the emojis with the heart eyes. And you've got the heart emojis. And if you want to let somebody know you love something, you do use more than one heart emoji. (laughs) It's in our language. We use the word love all the time. It's everywhere. We use the word, we say, I love God. Same word, then in the next sentence we say, I love college football. I love Chipotle. Which if you know me, you know that's a true statement. I love my kids. I love my wife. Same meaning, same word. We use love all the time and it's everywhere in our culture and it's a huge deal. But not only is it a huge deal in our culture and in the world because it gets right at the heart of a human being, this desire to be loved and to love others, it gets right at the heart of the Bible. Love is a huge deal in God's Word. Matthew chapter 22, the greatest commandments. God, now Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, John chapter 13, after washing the disciples' feet, he says, the way people will know whether or not you are a Christian is not by the way you love people outside these walls, but by the way you love people in here. By the way you love one another. And not only is it a big deal to Jesus, it's a big deal to the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians 13. Some of you had that read or heard it read at a wedding or your wedding, or it's been put on your wall of your house. And remember at the end, he says, faith, hope, and love remain, and the greatest of these is love. Uh, Galatians chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 5, Paul has theology and all these things about grace and gospel freedom, and his really first and only application was what? At the beginning of chapter 5, love your neighbor as yourself, and he says, circumcision and uncircumcision is nothing. The only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. The fruit of the Spirit. Friends, it's not an accident that love is number one. Paul is emphasizing its importance here, uh, uh, the importance of love, because everything else flows out of it. And it's love that binds the rest of the fruit together in perfect unity. And so we're going to talk about love this morning, the fruit of love. And we're going to see what the Bible says about love and how the Bible defines it. And if you're a note taker, here's where I'm going. First point... Love is proactive. Secondly, we're going to look at love's priority. And thirdly, we will look at the fact that love is powered. So, proactive, priority, and powered. Let's look at number one. When we think about our culture, and the way the culture thinks about love, we see lots of counterfeits to true biblical love. Because the way our culture defines and thinks about love is this warm, fuzzy feeling that goes on inside of you. This thing that's impossible to pinpoint and describe, uh, but it's something that is defined primarily by what's going on on the inside of you, and the focus is on you, and on your freedom, and on your choice, And on your feelings, this magical spark, these fireworks that are going off 
uh, inside your heart. We talk about love the opposite from the way the Bible talks about love. The Bible, when it talks about love, it does so in terms of action. The Bible says love does something. Love is not a feeling word. Love is a do word. How do we see that? Look at verses 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How was the love of God made manifest among us? After the comma, God sent His only Son into the world. Keep going. God sent His Son to be the atoning sacrifice for your sins. You see that phrase, God sent His Son. You see it twice, and if you were to keep reading, you'd see it a third time. The point is that love acts. Love moves outward. Love is on mission. God sends His Son. And here's the point. God didn't just stay up in heaven and have this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling about you. He has affections for you. But He does not just have this positive disposition about something. He does something. He sends His only Son into the world to lay down His life for you. And that tells us something about love. And I think it's important here to put this back in the context of Galatians chapter 5 in our study of the fruit of the Spirit. Remember, we put the works of the flesh right next to, in that chapter, that's what Paul does, right next to uh, the fruit of the Spirit. And so you have those side by side. And Martin said last week, which I thought was a great illustration, the works of the flesh are like a vacuum. In other words, they suck life out of relationships. They uh, draw inward and can be summarized, the works of the flesh, by one word, and that is self. Or one phrase that I've used is, the flesh can be described as living to get. Opposite. Fruit of the Spirit is like a fan that pushes away from itself, that pushes away from self and moves you outwards. The fruit of the Spirit is life-giving. It doesn't take life from relationships. It actually gives life to relationships. And so here's what that means. Love is not about you. Love is not about your feelings. Love is an action that is to be done in the interest of another person. Love is something that seeks the benefit of someone else. And so you see what this means. This means that love is always self-sacrificing. Love uh, is always costly. Love always involves a giving of a part of yourself to someone else. And this is very convicting because here's what it means. It means that love can be easily counterfeited. How so? Well, because you can have a loving personality or a warm personality or an engaging personality, and you can be funny and humorous and be a people magnet and be really sociable and own any room that you walk into and act interested in someone else and really not be interested in them at all. So you can fake love. You can act loving and not really be loving. In other words, you can do all those things that I just mentioned and never give of yourself. Never really, it never really cost you anything. 
And I could spend now to the rest of our time together talking about counterfeits. Uh, the way we counterfeit love in our culture. And I don't have time to do that, but I do want to mention one more. Another way we counterfeit love is we think love means tolerance and affirmation for absolutely everything that everyone or someone does that is in our life. Tolerance and affirmation for everything someone does because we think that would be unloving if we would confront them or we would disagree with them or we would push back against someone. And so we have this mentality that love means I just got to be a doormat and take it. That's not love either. And we don't have, that's a whole nother sermon. Because love, we see that in the scriptures too, often speaks the truth. And so love and truth go together. And love also means drawing boundaries. Again, a different sermon, different time. What I want you to see this morning is that uh, love does something. Love is proactive. Love is self-sacrificing. And this flies in the face of everything you will see in our culture. Because when we think about love today, oftentimes, and maybe this is the way we think about love, even in this room, and it's a lot more in line with the works of the flesh than it is the fruit of the Spirit. Because we often think about love as me being the sinner. And we live to get in our relationships. Friends, the operating principle in most of our relationships and friendships is this. As long as you are making me happy, I'm cool. As long as you are making me happy and giving me what we want, I'm all in with you. We're good. Or as long as you are a means to me being happy and me getting what I want, then we're good. But the moment that you push back or there's changes in the relationship and you no longer make me feel happy... Well, then, I'm out. Friends, I want to be sensitive here, but love is not about your feelings. Love is not about your happiness. Now, happiness and feelings are a wonderful byproduct of true love. Don't get me wrong, but you feeling happy does not drive the train in the way the Bible talks about what real, true, biblical love is. And so let me try to give you a picture here of what we've been talking about. In the 1980s, there was a man, a godly man, by the name of Robert McQuilkin. Some of you might be familiar with this story. He was the president of Columbia Bible College. And in 1990, Robert McQuilkin resigned his post as president for the best of reasons. Here's a snapshot, and I don't like long quotes, but hang with me. He told his audience this as he resigned. My dear wife, Muriel, has been failing mental health for about eight years. So far, I've been able to carry both her growing responsibilities and needs, along with my leadership responsibilities at Columbia Bible College. But it has become clear to me that she now needs me full time. You see, the decision was made in a way 42 years ago. When I promised to care for Muriel in sickness and in health till death do us part. So as I told the students and faculty, as a man of my word, and integrity had something to do with it, but so does fairness, he says. She's cared for me fully and sacrificially all these years, and if I cared for her for the next 40, I would not be out of debt. 
Duty, however, can be grim and stoic. And so there's more. I love Muriel. And it's not that I have to care for her. It's that I get to care for her. It is my high honor to care for such a wonderful person. You see it? That's it. That's the picture of the way the Bible talks about love. Love is uh, committing to put someone else above yourself even when they're a burden. Love is committing and staying in there in some ways when they hurt you and betray you and misunderstand you and when it gets hard. You see, love is not this warm, fuzzy feeling. Love has teeth. Love's gritty. Love is tenacious. Secondly, the priority of love. Look at verse 11 with me. Beloved, if God has loved us, we should love one another. And this might seem obvious, but I like to point out the obvious because I think we overlook it and just kind of move on to the next verse. And there's often a lot of gold in the obvious. And so what's the obvious thing here? And, And I think it's this. Beloved, love one another. Who's he talking to? He's talking to us. He's talking to Christians. He's talking... To the church, we didn't cover this in Galatians six verse ten uh, because I knew we were coming back to it this week. But remember, Paul says this really sta- statement that I think stands out. He says, "Do good and love everyone, but especially who those who are in the household of faith." John thirteen again, Jesus says, "How are people going to know whether you belong to me by your love for each other?" Of course we're supposed to love everyone. Okay, that's a given in the scriptures. Love your neighbor as yourself. But from where I stand, the priority of love in the Bible is to be those who are closest to you and to those with whom you share faith with. And that sounds probably strange to some of you to hear me say that. It even kind of sounds strange coming out of my mouth because our first thought is, well, shouldn't that be the easiest Shouldn't those be the easiest people for me to love? My family and those who I share faith with? That's a joke, by the way. (laughs) No. No. It's harder, isn't it? Which is why Paul or John is saying what he's saying here. It's harder. Why is it often harder to love the person right in front of you? Well, there's and particularly those who you share faith with. Well, let me give you a couple of reasons. One is is because we think somehow we lose our minds and we think that another person, another Christian with whom we're in the church with or who we share faith with, we think that once they become a Christian, they lose their sinful nature. And so we we, uh, don't expect them uh, to act a certain way. So if they hurt us, we, we don't... We don't know what to do with it because we think they should be beyond that. In other words, we don't give them, oftentimes give Christians as much grace. We expect people out there to hurt us and to be mean to us and to say things they shouldn't say to us or to lose their temper. But when it happens in here, we struggle to share grace because we think we just they shouldn't act that way because they know Jesus and we forget that people still are in the middle of their own sanctification. Another reason... Uh, that I think it's hard to love those closest to us, is because they know us. 
People know us that are in our own homes and in our church and in our workplace and those we rub shoulders with often. They know who we are and they've seen us at our worst. It's easy, way easier to go on a missions trip once a year and serve someone halfway around the world for a couple of days and then come back or to go downtown and to serve for a couple of days. Way easier to love them than to love the person right across the table from you. Why? Because you live with them and you work with them, and you go to church with them, and you've seen them blow it and lose their temper. And they've seen you blow it. You've hurt them, and they've hurt you. You've, they've rubbed you the wrong way, and you've rubbed them the wrong way, and their personality gets on your nerves, and theirs gets on uh, your nerves. You see it? Much harder to love, and that's why we see the command have priority here. Think about college football. Okay? The University of Alabama is not rivals with Marshall. They don't care about Marshall. Why? Because they're on the other side of the country. Who does Alabama care about? Auburn. Because they're close proximity, because they're within the same state. You see, it's the people closest to us. The people who we share faith with and life with and a home with and church with. Those are the people that are the greatest threats to your comfort and to your happiness. You see it? And the Bible says, you see the person sitting right across from you or to your right or to your left in this room or the person in your KC or in your home or the person you share a bed with or the people that are your neighbors. You know God's appointed you to live where you're living And so it's no accident that you live where you live. You see those people, the people who mess with your life, who hurt you and wrong you, God says that's your priority. Go to them. Start there. Love them. And if you've never, uh, if you've ever been a part of a church and you've woken up on a Sunday morning, if you've never been a part of a church and never woken up on a Sunday morning and thought in your heart, and I hope so-and-so's not there. I really hope I don't have to run into this person. Or if you've never woken up on a Sunday morning and walked outside the door of your KC or even outside the door of the church and gone, God, you're going to have to help me if I'm going to move towards this person. It's only going to be by your grace, because I can't do it on my own. If you have never experienced that, then you've never done church. You've never really given yourself to a relationship or to a body of believers and into deep relationships. Or maybe you've bought into the world's definition of what love is, and you've thought of love primarily as feelings. And remember, it's not about feelings. It's about action and self-sacrifice. That's why Jesus, you think about it, that's why Jesus can tell you to go love your enemies. Because you can love someone that you don't necessarily feel warm fuzzies for. You can love someone you don't necessarily like. Because you don't have to like someone to lay down your life for them and serve them and move towards them. That's why C.S. Lewis says this, don't waste your time bothering whether or not you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as you do that, you will find one of the great secrets of life. 
When you behave as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. See that actions, and he's saying the feelings will then follow. You can take a deep breath. You see why this might just be the most terrifying fruit of the Spirit? Because God's calling us to do something. It's not natural for us, is it? It's sure not natural for me. It's supernatural. And that's why it's called, not your fruit, it's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's supernatural. You can't create this. You can't make this happen in your life. That's, that, it's not natural for us. Here's what's natural for us and what we often do. We run. Relationships get hard and we have to really lay down our life and to sacrifice. And we run or we give someone the silent treatment or we leave and go to another church. Or we coexist in our households. And we give one another the silent treatment. Or we sweep it under the rug. Or we think if we can just get more time between this, then this will just blow over because this is way too hard for us to deal with. So who is it in your life this morning that God's calling you to love? Who is the person around you that unless Jesus shows up in your life, you can't do it? Unless the Spirit of God shows up, you cannot love them the way God's called you to love them. Who is that this morning? For you in your life. Thirdly and finally. Love is powered. Look at verse 7. Let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God. And knows God. You see it would be really easy this morning. For you to take everything that we've said this morning. And to as we learned last week. To get your Benjamin Franklin checklist out. And to put it beside your bed. And to get your chart. And to say i got to get busy loving. i got to get my to-do list. I've got to try harder because I've got to prove that I'm a good Christian. Friends, if you've been asleep, wake up at this point. Because if you don't get what I'm about to say, this will crush you. And will leave you in despair this morning. Verse 7 couldn't be any clearer. The only way we love is how? Is when you're connected to the source of love. The only way you can love, the way we have laid out and the Bible's called you to love, is if you're connected to God. Again, it's not your fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit. John 19, he says it this way. If you have your Bible, look down at chapter 4, 19. We love, why do we love? Because God first loved us. See what John's doing, isn't it awesome? He's taking us back to the gospel order. He says, Rest and receive God's love for you. And then out of that love, out of God loving you and the way he loves you, out of the overflow of that, then go love the people around you. You see, you must rest and receive and let Jesus love you and change you. You cannot will this up. You cannot, uh, through willpower, start loving other people. It will only produce the counterfeit if you do that. The only thing that's powerful enough to make you love the way God calls you to love is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5. While we were still enemies, Christ died. Translation. While you hated God, God moved towards you and loved you and laid down his life for you. While you were God's enemies, God 
acted and died for you. And your ability to love those around you this morning can only be found in that, in letting God love you. And so that brings us to a really big application question. If the key to loving the people in our own households and workplaces and in our church and those closest to us, if the key to that is letting God love you first, love you, then here's the question. What prevents you from receiving the love of God for you? What prevents you from receiving God's love? Well, here's mine. Maybe it's yours too. Shame. Shame. Shame is this internalized voice of shame that says you don't matter and that you're not good enough. And very often it's the voice of a particular person in your life. And that voice of that person is louder than God's voice, which says, I love you enough to die for you and lay down my life for you. That's one reason. The second reason uh, that prevents us from receiving God's love is performance, which is what we've been talking about the whole book of Galatians. Some of you this morning are still trying to, you won't let God love you. You're still earning it or trying to earn it. And you're thinking, God has to be sick of me. I've tried and failed so much, I have to clean up my act. And when I get my act cleaned up in this one little area of my heart, then I can take a breath, and then I can let God's love in, and then He can finally love me. Friends, could it be the reason this morning that you don't love well and I don't love well? It's because we won't let God love us. Could it be this morning that the barriers that we've put up that... And the reasons that we don't let God love us, whatever that is for you, that, that actually has disconnected us from the power source of love, which is God's love for you. Many of you know that being in campus ministry, I'm still doing a lot of them actually, more than, um, than I thought I would be doing. And hopefully it, it probably will be coming to an end soon, but I do a lot of weddings That's what I was in Memphis for last week, doing a wedding for a former student. Uh, And I love weddings, and there's nothing quite like that moment uh, when you're standing there with the groom and the doors fly open in the back of the church, and and the groom sees the bride for the first time. There's nothing like that, and I've gotten used to it, uh, and so it's not quite as emotional for me, but it was emotional this past weekend, and here's why. I've never experienced this in a wedding before. But we were singing, uh, a congr- or a, 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 there was a guy doing a solo of Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. And when we got to the last verse, the groom is up front, and I'm standing beside him. When we got to the last verse, he stands everybody up. They have the words printed in their program, and we start singing, you know, full volume, the last verse of Come Thy Fount of Every Blessing. And when we got going, the doors of the church flew open, and you see the bride, and we essentially sang her down the aisle. And I'm going to tell you, I've never seen a groom more undone, weeping more than what I saw last weekend. And they were, he was weeping tears of joy. And I love that picture because it's such a picture of the gospel for us and the way Jesus loves us. Because it's a picture for us of another wedding. The wedding was a picture of uh, the Lord Jesus Christ marrying us, his bride, the church. 
And so imagine with me now that wedding that will happen, the cosmic wedding at the end of time. Imagine the doors flying open in the back and the music playing. And you look and you see the bride, which is the church, which is you. Except this time it's different because the bride has just been unfaithful and been with another lover. And then you turn and you look at the groom. And every other groom in America and in the world would turn and run as fast as they can the other way. But when you look, the groom is still there and it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's smiling from ear to ear. Knees are buckling. Tears have filled his eye. Why? Because he gets to be with you. Do you see it? Do you see the gospel? You see, we don't, live, we don't love very well, do we? We're terrible lovers of people. We're terrible lovers of one another. And Jesus does not leave. See, love has teeth, remember? It's gritty. It's tenacious. And Jesus doesn't leave. And he says, I am here. I am not leaving. I love you. I'm committed to you. I don't know about you, but that is like water to a weary soul for someone who doesn't love well. Because Jesus says, I still love you, even though you're unlovable. I still love you, even though you're unfaithful, and even though you're fickle and selfish and annoying and cold, and you love me one week and you don't the next, I will not leave. You see, that, uh, that is what's going to change you this morning. When that melts your heart, That is what will change you and give you the power to love the people around you. So the takeaway this morning is this. It's not to grit your teeth and say, i got to love people better. Rather, it is to let Jesus love you. To realize how much you are loved and to love others out of an overflow of that love. Remember John 15, abide in me and you will bear much fruit. Let Jesus love you. Rest and receive all that Jesus has done for you. And then out of that comes the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, and so on. What better way for us to rest and receive in Jesus than to come to this table and to experience this table, the Lord's Supper, together. So let's do that this morning. Let me pray and we'll come to the table. Let's pray. Father, help us to see and experience how much you love us. Help us to really believe that. And may that love flow through us and be a channel of love to the people around us. I pray for those of us that are caught in shame and performance. Would you give us faith to really believe that we belong to you and that you created us in your image and you love us more than anything in the world. Help us to believe that by faith. And would you make our church a place that um, the world would look and say, man, those people love well, and we know um, that they belong to you. May that be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.